Tonight on Hops and Box Office Flops, just remember what old Thunderous Wizard does when the glasses quake and the watered-down IPAs fall from the sky and the pillars of the tap shake. Wizard just looks that big old storm right square in the eye and he says, Give me your best pint, pal. I can take it. Hops and Box Office Flops. A place where we can celebrate the underdog films, the bombs, the disasters, the much maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show. Welcome back, listeners. This is our 109th episode of Hops and Box Office Flops, presented by Wabam Entertainment. That's W-O-B-A-M Entertainment. Tonight, in the final entry of our Hops and Favorite Flop series, we are headed to the mean streets of San Francisco Chinatown for the John Carpenter cult classic, Big Trouble in Little China. Along with me on this excursion to the seedy underbelly of Chinatown are... Captain Cash is his name and excitement's his game. And I am thrilled to be here. I love this movie. We've got the crazy little basket case on wheels, Chumzilla. You were not put upon this world, Thunderous Wizard, to get it. <laughs> and may the wings of his liberty never lose a feather, Mayor McCheese. I'd like to be referred to as the Pork Chop Express. <laughs> certainly. We can certainly do that. Uh, points of order, you can find the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Hops and BL Flops. You can find myself at WriterTLK. Captain Cash, where can they find you? You can find me at C-A-P-T-C-A-S-H on most of your social media. Uh, Chumzilla, when you're not twiddling your pinkies in a Chinese sorcery fight, where can they find you? <laughs> you can find me dispensing advice about Chinese black magic on Twitter at Chumzilla8. And Mayor McCheese, when you're not licking your face like the watchful eye of Lo Pan, where can they find you? <laughs> oh, God, that creepy thing. I'm at HBOF McCheese on Twitter. All right, so Big Trouble in Little China is free on YouTube, and not in the shady way. It does have ads. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's take a pause there and make sure everyone knows that you're going to be sitting through about, I'd say, 20 ads at least. Oh, my God. Yeah, I want the right. skip button, though. I watched it on YouTube because I wanted to watch it on my phone because it's easier. And good God, there are a lot of ads right in the worst parts of the movie. Yeah, it's not like it's not even like the TV edit spots. It's just like straight up ads in the middle of the scene. Oh, yeah. You're in the middle of that Kung Fu fight scene. And then all of a sudden you're getting alopecia commercials. <laughs> What's super annoying is if you have to pause it. It immediately no, starts an ad after you <laughs> yeah. resume play. So it's not like, oh, remember that ad you were waiting for? It's like, no, screw you. Here, here it is again. Yeah, I learned I learned that the hard way. I've had to pause it two or three times to go uh, to the bathroom or help my kids. And literally, another ad. So what we're trying to say is, buy the movie. just buy the movie. Just buy the movie so you can watch it whenever yeah. you want without it. This movie's 100% worth the purchase no matter what the cost, buy the movie. And that's the thing. I own it on Blu-ray, but I was watching it in my room so i don't have blu-ray player in there but then the next day i watched it with my kids and now they've seen it five times in a day and a half they're obsessed with it so i must be doing something right so, so yeah, you have good taste or good parenting yeah you're, ra- yep. you're raising your kids correctly good job yeah that is great a parenting you can rent this for 3.99 basically across platforms but in all honesty again buy it just buy yeah it. it's this... gonna be worth the buy 
this is a a must own if you're a fan of film it's it's a seminal movie um, yeah anybody that grew up in the 80s knows this movie and definitely should own it uh here's my big beef it's on youtube this is a 20th century fox movie why is this not the first thing that pops up when you open disney plus what are you doing disney you're the devil yeah, that's, that's dropping the ball pretty hard it is oh it is absurd it's like you open and Disney Plus. Disney. It's like, hey, watch this show with John Stamos coaching youth basketball. Uh, excuse me, no, I want to watch Jack Burton do awesome shit. Thank you very much. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but didn't Kurt Russell get his start in Hollywood as an actor on Disney movies? Yeah, computer wore tennis shoes. Wait, is that Val Kilmer? No, it's it's uh, that's him. It's Russell. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, this they, is. They should Disney. be. Well, I mean. That was part of the whole gag as hiring him as Snake Plissken. He was the the Disney kid. It's basically yeah. like if you hired 2009 Zac Efron to be the fucking Punisher. Yeah, High School Musical of death. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tonight in honor of Lopan's Chinese wild man beast, uh, who Jack bonds with in the graphic novels, if you've read those, we are drinking Yeti Imperial Stout from Great Divine Brewing Company. Uh, it packs quite a punch. Uh, it starts with a roasty malt flavor that gives way to rich caramel and toffee notes. And it gets its bold hop character from an enormous quantity of American <laughs> hops. Apparently it has 75 IBUs. As someone who just drinks beer and doesn't very much study it, I don't know what that means, but it sounds like a lot. It also has a lot of alcohol because it's 9.5% ABV. Whee! Yeah, which is not only Captain Cash approved, it's Hangover approved. As I say, the end of this podcast is going to be a warp speed slur fest. This tastes like Bigfoot's dick. <laughs> I, I have questions as to why you know what that tastes like. Oh, no. But at the I, same I think... time, I feel like I know what the answer is and I don't find it surprising. Yeah, Wait, I, is, I, is I, it good or bad? I couldn't get it. Um, Bigfoot's it's dick? It's bitter. Um, it's not nearly as smooth as last week's old Rasputin. I get the roasted malt notes for sure. Uh, it, I don't necessarily taste the booze, but I feel it. <laughs> yeah. At nine and a half percent, you better feel it. it. It does warm the mouth a bit. Um, but yeah, it's bitter. I mean, I get this, I get the roasted flavors. I get a little bit of the touch of the, the, the caramel, but just for clarity's yeah. sake, Oof. we're talking about the beer, not Bigfoot's dick, right? Uh, yes. Okay. I mean, it doesn't sound like you like it very much. How many movies would you give it? Um, half. Half a movie. Wow. That's mm. harsh. Yep. That's a I, low ranking. No, sir. I don't like it. it. I'm sure that someone who's a big Stout fan might have a different opinion, but for me, this is just too far out of my comfort zone. I'm someone who's a Stout fan, and I have a different opinion. I'm sure uh, I you do. I think this is a really good beer. As the, the various high-gravity Stouts go... This is one of my favorites. So if you're a stout person, I do recommend this. Uh, I don't think it's as good as New Holland's Dragon's Milk, but it kicks the ass off Old Rasputin. And I know for a fact this isn't going to give me the hangover that Old Rasputin does. This is, uh, it's, I would hesitate to say that it's smooth because there is a lot of flavor on this thing. But for as high octane as it is, you don't so much taste the intense alcohol. Because I think there's so much malt. You know what I mean? Yeah. I will so, say I mean, that in, in my research of trying to find this, I didn't realize that they also make them in tall boys, which seems aggressive for a stout. Oh, 
<laughs> when Listen, steel I, reserve is not enough. <laughs> I will sit here and I will easily drink three or four of these, but then I'm kind of done for the evening. I, I would give this two, maybe two and a half movies. Ooh, that's a high ranking. I really like it, but I mean, it comes down to two and a half movies and I've drunk enough that I am Hammered. seven sheets to the wind. It's uh, It's not a pretty sight at that point. Yeah, I th- I'm with Captain Cash. I actually like this better than Old Rasputin, which basically shot, stabbed, poisoned, and drowned me when I woke up the next day. Warned you. I did not have a ba- I did not have that bad of a hangover, but I did try to drink one. Let's see, we did the pod on Sunday. I tried to drink one on Tuesday, and that was a struggle. That was a bear fight through and through. Yeah, I will admit I did have some sort of like brain aneurysm the next day. Like I just had like a stabbing pain above my eyeball by my temple i thought i was a goner for a second but i think that was just the old the old rasputin coming back for its revenge i was but no i was i can already yeah i can already taste the hangover from this stuff though (laughs) i'm sorry (laughs) this does not appear to be hangover proof to chumpzilla i can already tell what i'm gonna feel like in the morning i found this a couple of weeks ago prior to the pod when i was looking for beers and i had a couple here and there and i really like it but then again i mean if you probably have more than two you'd be in a little bit of trouble but i'd still say two movies if you go to slow pace this is a good stout so hard agree way to go great divide yep going squatching well captain cash you and the thunderous wizard might love this stuff but to my old chumpzilla palate here it tastes like somebody dumped some swiss miss into steel reserve i uh you say that like can't. it's a bad thing. I was about yeah, to say, just, that, that sounds like a nice little warm holiday. I just can't get behind this for whatever reason. Oof. But hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be like Jack Burton here. I'm just going to push through. going to cowboy up mm-hmm. until, you know, you inevitably shoot the ceiling and it knocks you out. Coming well, after, well, after enough of these things at 9.5%, that probably won't even hurt. Nope. <laughs> Feel good. Feel kind of invincible. I feel kind of invincible, yeah. So, Big Trouble in Little China was directed by the aforementioned John Carpenter and scored by him as well. His score was actually nominated for an award, which might come up later. And I can confirm that that score kicks a monumental amount of ass, and it is why I now collect vinyl records, because that was the only way to get it. Uh, It stars America's national treasure, Kurt Russell. Double welcome back, Kurt. Of course, Escape from L.A. and The Thing. He really is the best. Wait, do you own this record? <laughs> oh, yeah. Nice. I own many John Carpenter records. I own no, this, I mean, Escape from New York, I, The Thing. I, I think you need to post whatever the uh, cover art is. Oh, yeah, I'll post it with the beer. Nice. Uh, so he's Jack Burton, the hero that I'm doing air quotes. You cannot see that. Uh, you've got Kim, Sex in the City, Cattrall as Gracie Law. What the hell is Gracie Law doing here? Dennis Dunn as Wang Chi. And I... A little peeved that he didn't have a better career because he's awesome in this movie and he is the actual hero. You've got James Hannibal Chu Hong. Again, welcome back double time. Tango and Cash and the perfect weapon. And Wayne's World. Oh, triple time, yeah. Uh, He's David Lopan. I would like to add that James Hong is also a national treasure. I would agree with that. James Hong is great. Between this and Wayne's World, he's... He's fucking awesome. 100%. You know, he's, he's, one of the... he's got like 440 IMDb credits. Dude, what? <laughs> <Holy laughs> yeah. he, he, he's seriously like on a Samuel L. Jackson level. 
He's putting in. He's putting in work. Dudes and oh, everything. Yeah. You've got Victor Grandpa Wong as Egg Shen. Of course, he's the grandpa from Three Ninjas. And what may be the most flagrant use of a stunt double in history? I mean, more so than Face Off? Yes. Uh, it's bad. Wow. Go back and okay. watch it. It's a guy wearing a pillow under his shirt. <laughs> it's so bad. Uh, you've got Kate. My career has been shockingly prolific. Burton as Margot. She had over 100 IMDb credits. I guess she's on Scandal. I've seen her is that nothing the, uh, else. So is that the re- is that the reporter woman? Yes, <laughs> yes, Margot. Seriously, like, she's got she's in other things. I was shocked. I was like, Margot's the big winner of this movie, aside from obviously the you know the huge stars. Uh, you've got Donald. I made the wizard geek out when I showed up on Bosch. Lee as Eddie, and of course you have the three storms: Carter Wong as Thunder, Peter Kwong as Rain, and James Pax is Lord Raiden. <laughs> I do want to take I want to take a, a solid moment right now to to do a poll. How many people think Carter Wong, the dude who plays Thunder, is on a shitload of steroids? I mean, he's the one who he's the one who, hit, he's the one who hissed constantly, and it was absolutely yoked. When he explodes, yes. Prior <laughs> yes. to that, no. He forgot to go off cycle, which is a big problem. Uh, this movie opened on July 2nd, 1986. Good date. I don't, couldn't tell you why. And it only grossed $2.7 million in its opening weekend and finished with $11.1 million in North America, which was basically its only box office. Uh, that was well below its estimated budget of 19 to $25 million. Do you know what this opened against, Thunderstorm? Well, yeah, I have a whole list of stuff. One of the big reasons okay. they think it flopped is because it was released in the midst of the hype, the 20th Century Fox hype for James Cameron's blockbuster Aliens. Uh, which opened only 16 days later. Fox apparently didn't give a shit about the marketing for this. Uh, they gave they pushed all their money toward that. Like Kurt Russell's gone on record talking about how stupid the marketing was for this. It was all like, who is Jack Burton? What is Jack Burton after? Apparently there was no marketing for and, this from what I read. And he was basically like, well, who the hell cares who he is? Like, what are you yeah, trying I mean, to the, do here? That That answer is easy. An asshole and his truck. Yeah, you're trying to get asses in seats. Stop playing up Jack Burton and play up the movie. I guess this one thing that the studio really thought this was going to be like, uh, you could build Jack Burton as if he was Indiana Jones, but he's not that type of character at all. Uh, they just didn't yeah. get it. Uh, it also battled box office behemoth holdouts like Back to School, The Karate Kid 2, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and Ruthless People, which all made well over $70 million. Plus you had Top Gun which even though it came out in mid-May, would definitely still be in theaters because this is the 80s and movies were in theaters forever and Top Gun grossed almost $200 million. So, It might be harder for our younger audience to understand just how long the media cycle was back then in the 80s. I mean, everything hung around longer. Commercials ran for like a year or two. Movies stayed in theaters for months on months on months. It It was a different time. So here's my 5,000 foot question, if you will. If this thing was a smash at the box office, is it, I mean, is it as loved as it is right now? Like, we love this fucking movie because it is a cult classic and it is like a campy kung fu awesome movie. If it made just a ton of money and was like, you know, well renowned and people nonstop talking about it, would it hold the same place in your heart or not? Let me ask this question. Do you like aliens? 
I mean, like all the aliens movies. I mean, but but aliens, aliens, aliens. The second aliens. The movie. second one. Uh, yeah. 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 So yeah, we'd still fucking like it. Now the real question is, if this made a shitload of money, what do its sequels do? That that becomes more questionable as far yeah. as the legacy that, yeah. of this film. It's probably it's probably more yeah. true. There's a little bit of there is a little bit of I don't know what you want to call it, greatness or legendary status for this is a one and done film. You can watch this in the ninety minutes that this movie is, and that's I mean, unless you want to dip into the ancillary materials of like the making of and or the continuing comic book adventures of Jack Burton. But 90 minutes is what you get for this. These characters don't come up again. There's no other movie. And that's what it should be. I mean, that's why it makes it so great. Like you, can re- you can rewatch this time after time after time and still enjoy it. It's a double-edged sword. I mean, yes, there's something that's cool about the singularity that is this movie. The sequels could be good, and that would not hurt its legacy, but the sequels could have also been bad, which probably would have hurt its well, legacy. Well, there's Very no true. guarantee, right? Like, we're getting a Top Gun sequel in 2021. That's thirty six years after Top Gun. Who's asking for that? Like, yeah, I, but, I, but I'm not asking. That's I'm not besides asking the for, point. Like, if this movie's a hit, it'd be popular. Still, I'm not asking for a big trouble sequel. This is great. I can watch this over and over again. I don't need a new one. And we're gonna talk about that later because th- that's one of the questions. Because there's been ruminations about it. But you know, if this movie didn't flop, then we don't get They Live because. Carpenter was fed up with dealing with the studios after that. He made They Live independently. He made his next two movies independently because he wanted to do what he wanted to do. So, you know, everything is a cause and effect. And this movie is beloved because it became a a cult hit. They probably bought the rights to run it on cable for cheap. I used to watch this on TBS constantly. I probably saw this movie over 100 times when I was a kid because any time it was on, I watched it. I couldn't get enough of this movie. And at the time, like, it wasn't reviewed particularly well. It apparently tested well, and they thought it was going to be a huge hit, and then it wasn't. Like, I guess one of the big questions to Kurt Russell was, how does it feel to know, like, you're about to be in the biggest movie of the year? Like, people are legitimately asking him that in interviews. And he thought, like, oh, it felt pretty good. And then all of a sudden, you get the opening receipts, and you're like, I'm not in the biggest movie of the year, and this sucks. Yeah, thanks for jinxing it. Yike. But now it does have an 82% on Rotten Tomatoes with 45 reviews. Reviews mean nothing for a movie like this. Yeah, and I have a hard time understanding why this flopped. I understand the lack of marketing support. I I get that. But I just see this as a slam dunk movie in the 80s. I I, I don't get it. I think it's bad release date. And I think it's actually, and Thunder Swizzard will probably chime us in, like, it's fairly well known that they put zero dollars into marketing this thing. Yeah. And like, and if, you, if, you, if you go see it, the way it spreads is word of mouth. Like, you're not going to yeah, go see is... it and compare it to something that came out that same year. You know, Ferris Bueller or, you know, Karate Kid 2. You're going to be like, oh, dude, this movie rules. But it's, you know, one of those things you talk about with your buddies. You just don't, like, go spread to everybody. And crucially, I feel like... Z- it's kind of strange to think about, but this came out two years prior to Die Hard. So having the comparison of, you know, random guy finds himself in the middle of, you know, an action movie and just has to make do, 
didn't exist in the same cultural way that it did after Die Hard. Because you like, this is not Die Hard in Chinatown because the character is fundamentally different. But at least that cultural understanding existed post Die Hard of, you know, it's going to be kind of funny. There's going to be action. A guy is in a place where he's not supposed to be. To me, this feels like the kind of movie that, regardless of the studio backing and marketing, would have picked up that word of mouth. Young males would have been like, dude, you got to see this movie. It's funny. There's action. It's, it's a good time. You know, the special effects are decent. And it would have gained legs, but it clearly didn't. You, you can't gain legs when you open to two and a half million. No. Uh, yeah, I suppose there's no legs. To, there's no legs. To, there's no stumps to grow legs from. You're going to be gone far too soon for that to happen. Uh, that brings us to our one sentence descriptions, and we can start with you, Chumzilla. How would you describe Big Trouble in Little China in one sentence? I would describe it as follows John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China just might be the perfect 80s buddy action comedy. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Okay, uh, then why don't you just follow it up, McCheese? <laughs> oh, mine is Kung Fu John Wayne. Because literally all of Jack Burton's line are delivered in the same cadence as John Wayne. Well, it's funny you say that because he was supposed to be modeled after John Wayne. <laughs> uh, obviously, he's. I mean, and that I have a question about that later, so we'll get to it. But that it was John Wayne. Yeah. No, yeah, he's definitely. He's you mean definitely regular not... John Wayne? <laughs> yeah, he didn't do yellow face in this, so he's got one up on John Wayne. I'm Genghis Khan. I enjoy red meat. Well, there. Yeah. Uh, what I gotta tell you is, we're gonna get on this horse and ride across the step. Wait, are I'm you gonna? Yeah. Are you Jimmy nope. Stewart? Yeah, I, I, a little Stewart crept in there. Uh, give us your uh, one-liner. Yeah, one-liner. All right. Uh, my one-liner is the best John Carpenter movie. Full stop. Yeah, uh, and I do have a question about that later, so don't feel fr- don't chime in yet, uh, McCheese and Chumzilla, but. I would describe this as the absolute manifestation of all the cool shit I ever wanted to see in a movie that I could never have predicted being in a movie. It has everything. Chinese standoffs, mythical beasts, magic, kung fu. It's incredible. Gunfights. Yeah. So, you know... Explosions. We're all all dads here. So, you know in... um all the despicable movies where Kevin looks at Gru. This is the same thing as how Thunderous Wizard looks at this movie. Just big eyes, open mouth, I love you no matter what you do kind of mentality. There's zero weak points in this movie. Every yeah, this scene every, is amazing. Everything about this movie is fantastic. Yeah. We can't it, nitpick it, anything here. It holds up surprisingly well. Like, I haven't seen this movie for a couple of years. I don't think I've seen it for Shame maybe on three years. Shame on me. Yeah. I used to I used to watch it almost every year. I mean, I do own it on Blu-ray. Um, and I was a little nervous watching it again. I'm like, uh, are some of these special effects going to hold up? Are they going to look good on, like, a you know HD display, you know? And uh, they do. I mean, for a 1986 movie, it holds up very, very well. Yeah, just, I mean, a lot of it's practical, right? Because this, this is the 80s, yeah. so the sets and a lot of the monsters, and you do have post-effect work. But like, this looks so much better than Chronicles of Riddick, which cost seven <laughs> times as much as this. The, the costume, everything. Everything looks better. The, the, now, the it's only, smaller I guess scale, the, sure, but yeah. still. 
The only weak part thing. in this movie, I would say, is the Beast Man. If they had just done an animatronic head for that, which I'm sure would have cost way too much money because yeah. all the money was already spent, that's the only weak part because the head does look like a rubber suit. Well, that and the it, effects company in some shots. rushed their work because they were working on like several other movies while they were doing this. Uh, allegedly. Yeah. Well, they said they weren't, which is probably yeah, bullshit. exactly. Yeah, so it's yeah, it's all he said. She, uh, yeah. she said. Uh, I'm inclined to believe yeah, John Carpenter. So the actual yeah. description from IMDb, and this one's not so bad, is a rough and tumble trucker helps rescue his friend's fiance from an ancient sorcerer in a supernatural battle beneath Chinatown. I don't know if I would say helps as much as a rough and tumble trucker well, tags along. He distracts. He, he distracts a couple people. <laughs> I mean, listen. I know we're going to talk about it, but. Kind of the weird part of this movie is Jack Burton is the one to actually off the bad guy. That's like, true. He, he does mean, it as a reflex. He does it. He does it in the best moment in the movie. But everything leading up to that is him just being the yeah. goofy, the goofy buddy, which is, I mean, it's perfect. There's there's a lot of really awesome like little behind the scenes notes about this movie and why he's you know. Kurt Russell not trained in martial arts. So, you know, how about in the scene where we're going to fight all these guys, I shoot the ceiling and I get knocked out. Oh, that's going to be great. Uh, how about, you know, I'm getting back in the fight and the guy falls on top of me. Oh, yeah, that'll work. Oh, how about I throw... Like, they did these things intentionally to mask the fact oh. that Kurt Russell couldn't be on screen doing these things. And it works yeah, perfectly okay. for the character. Wait, are you telling me that Kurt Russell doesn't know Kung Fu? Yeah, no, like, he... he couldn't match the choreography. Even Dennis Dunn wasn't highly trained, but he was just good enough to make it work. It hurts me to my core. Yeah. Um, I now remember something that actually does not hold up in this movie, and it's definitely the knife boot. Or the boot knife. Uh, That that effect did not translate well. Better in this or in um, Chronicles of Riddick? Yeah. Chronicles of Riddick for sure, no. and better. The, the gun boot was better in Tank. First, yeah, well, damn it, beat first me to it. That was my that was <laughs> yeah. my follow up. Knife the, boot or gun boot? The knife boot yeah. is a gateway drug to the gun boot. The gun boot doesn't yeah. exist if Kurt Russell didn't have a knife boot. That's a good point. You know he what? Doesn't have, uh-huh. He doesn't Super have a gun. Important. You never bring a knife boot to a gun boot fight. Yeah, that makes boot gun fight. Yeah. yeah, no, you just don't. Boot gun, gun boot. You're in for it if you do. Wait, is it a gun boot All or right. boot gun? All right, keep going. Gun boot. We're falling yeah. behind. Never bring a uh, knife to a gun boot. So we're going to get into the plot now. To a gun uh, boot fight. Jesus. <laughs> All right, go. We're going to get into the plot now, and I'll stop us a couple times here and there. But the movie opens with a lawyer shaking down Egg Shen about the location of Jack Burton because Chinatown just erupted into a ball of green flame. Green flame. Uh, quick aside, this scene was added later because the studio said, like, hey, our white savior's not heroic enough. And that's why this scene is in there, because it paints him as being this hero that helped save Chinatown. I've, re- I've read that as well, and I actually think that I I would have liked the movie better if they didn't have that in it. Like, I didn't, I didn't need to know about the sorcery up front. Like, if they would have just started right. with Jack on the road, I would have been fine. And that's where it started, to- yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, yep. what, that, that's where it originally was, and I don't know if it was from the screenings or whatnot, but, like, I didn't need that scene. So I, I actually somewhat disagree in that I enjoyed the little, like, Egg Shen puts up his hands and does a little lightning thing, which he demonstrates nowhere else in the film. But, but if, you, if, if they would have saved the sorcery until later in the movie when, like, when mm-hmm. you got to the sorcery, it would have been, it would have been I, better. 
I see. This is where I disagree, though. I appreciate that up front they're going, look, things are going to get fantastical. Here we go. I don't know that springing that on the audience is the move. I wholeheartedly disagree. I think it was a mistake to put that little exposition scene in front of everything. I think it's a lot more fun to experience everything that goes on through the eyes of Jack Burton because he's clearly the avatar for the audience in the movie. He doesn't even know what's going on. He's asking the questions that we would ask. I, I think it actually hurts the movie and it just reeks of studio meddling like, oh, I, I don't think the dumb audience can follow the movie if we don't tell them up front that Kurt Russell's the good guy. Uh, no. and, and, hold on, hold on, McCheese. Sorry, sorry, and I'll just sorry. add, this, this also, I think, falls in the category of the little scene at the beginning of The Thing where you see the spaceship fire the little thing towards Earth. Like, well, you already know it's an alien. So it, th that hurts the movie. Like, it's much better if you discover that stuff organically other than getting the fantastical introduced right off the bat. So if, if we cut this out of it, what is the first, like, sorcery scene? It'd be the three storms. Yeah, three storms show up and do the knife throw. Yeah, I mean, yeah. in my mind, that's and, way Lightning better. and all that, yeah. Well, then, in my mind, then, that's way better. Yeah, yeah. I, I could go either way because I really like the way the lawyer says green flame twice. <laughs> uh, I, I, I like that scene. scene. Yeah, uh, but I, you know, without it, you cut right to Burton and the Pork Chop Express offering advice through his CB radio. He makes a pit stop in Chinatown to gamble with his old friend Wang. This sets well, up everything to come. I mean, he's delivering the pork. Yeah, to yeah. Chinatown. He's the Pork Chop Express. Yeah, but he he hangs out. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. To be with Wang. Wang loses his shirt gambling against Burton, which. They set up the end of this movie incredibly well at this moment. They do this thing where Wang Chi is going to cut the bottle in half, and for whatever reason, it launches the bottle towards Jack's face, and he just catches it midair. And that sets up what is ultimately the end of this film, which yeah. I really appreciate. Oh, it's all in the reflexes. Uh, all in the reflexes. So Wang and Burton head to the airport. Burton doesn't trust him alone because he owes him nothing or double Jack. And he's going to be reunited with his long-lost love, Miao Yin. Uh, they go to the airport, only to witness Miao Yin being kidnapped by the Lords of Death, who are actually just there on a joyride looking for some other girl to sell into slavery. Uh, these guys are just Chinatown ruffians with sweet sunglasses and weapons. Where'd you get those? See, I don't know if I agree with that part, because they say later that the Lords of... Um, what is it? Lords of Death work for... Lopan and Lopan's looking for a green-eyed girl. But they didn't know that. They just took her, and then it turned out she she had green eyes. They sold her to the White Tiger. The White Tiger had her in the back because she was highly priced, and they came and took her from them. Okay, so uh, but we'll I, get there. Maybe I missed it. Yeah, I missed it. I I probably missed the step. I feel like that kind of that belies how shitty a I don't know sorcerer or gang lord Lopan is. Like, if your whole goal in Undeath is find the woman with green eyes. Wouldn't you like, I don't know, ha have a group of people that that's their whole job? Literally, find well, me. Uh, either way. They were wearing sunglasses. That yeah, is true. I, and indoors. they wore sweet sunglasses. Yeah. I wore some it, of them sunglasses. And the gang members with the sunglasses are clearly the fashion inspiration that uh, Kanye West has taken in recent years. 
Yes. But the, the well, not recent years, I guess, quite uh, a while. You, but you mean before he lost his mind and started dressing yeah, up like a bottle I'm of Perrier? About the shutter, the shutter shades, and, and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, that's clearly inspired by these guys. Well, that Barry Gordy's the Last Dragon, but yeah, that too. Uh, so, the Lords of Death speed through the parking lot. Son of a bitch must pay. Burton and Wang pursue them and get caught in the middle of a Chinese standoff between two Chinese tongs, which are gangs known as the Chang Sing. Those are the good guys. And the Wing Kong, those are the bad guys. Now, if someone ever proposes to you that the perfect movie scene does not exist, I would kindly point them to this. It is awesome. How many broken bones do you think are shown in this scene? Oh, I mean, there's at least ten. I mean... <laughs> Because there's a couple where it's like, oh, that guy just got his head thrown into a brick wall. Like, you know, he's in rough shape. No, I mean, there's there's a lot of kung fu moves where they have the arm by the hand and they do the, like, yeah. the upper punch and, like, just snap elbows. And, like, John Carpenter went out of his way to show that bone breaking <laughs> in extended detail. McCheese, this is PG-13. We only get one explicit broken arm shown. But I think, as the Thunderous Wizard mentioned, there are several implied you know, broken faces and or noses. Here's my thing. More than anything else, what I want to take away from this film is the salute that the Chong Sing give each other. I, I, I want that to be a thing. It's like you're holding up the, the L with the right hand. I, I thought for a while that that meant like they were about to do some sort of like supernatural power move because we already knew that this movie was a supernatural based movie and then it didn't happen, but... I was okay with that. I mean, they they did a good job. They seemed to win that whole fight. Uh, the, yeah, the the Chang Sing are winning until the three storms show up. And I should point out that Al Leong is a Chinese hatchet man in this scene for the Chang Sing. You'd recognize him from Die Hard and many other movies. He's the he guy that so well, maybe Samo- the most henching. Samoan drops a guy through a glass window. He's an awesome that guy and everything. <laughs> he's like he's like the bad guy. Ah, that guy. Yeah. So the three storms show up, prompting Burton and Wang to flee, running over Lopan in the process. From here, it's fairly clear this movie is going directly into the fantastical. And as you guys were saying at the beginning, like this really should have probably been the jumping off point to like, holy shit, what are we going to see now? Which is another reason, like, how do you market this movie? Because until it gets fantastical, it's pretty straightforward. Like, is this just going to be a buddy, you know, action comedy where these two guys are trying to get this girl back. Like, you can't show any of this stuff and not ruin that surprise. Yeah, you know what? I'm coming around on the idea that the studio meddling of the the framing device is probably unnecessary. But I I, I feel it. Yeah, so Lopan blinds Burton with light coming out of his mouth, and they steal Jack's truck as they head back to uh, Wang's restaurant. And I'll just quickly add, I love that in their little, like, escape scene, you see in the background the three storms continuing to fight with the gang members. Yeah, they just wipe out the Chang Sing, basically. There's there's some shots in this Chinese standoff where, where it shows each side running and then both sides running into each other. It's just masterful stuff. Like, I mean, it's a great kung fu movie. Literally, like, that whole scene, like that scene and a scene later, are awesome kung fu movies. It's it's incredible when the guys like running and they're sprinting and they got the angry face and he's got the two uh, butcher knives. I, it's it's awesome. It's surprisingly well shot. 
Like, yeah. Not to say that all John Carpenter movies don't have their charms. This movie feels very, very well done. Yeah. And these these fight scenes seem very well done for a guy who's not a, a, a kung fu guy. No, he's not. You know, and it's not like he he didn't write this movie. This. This was a job he got, you know, this this was written and originally conceived as something totally different. And when the second writer got a hold of it, he's like, like, no, this is like, who wants to see that? Who wants to see a movie in 1899 Old West where a guy's a, you know, a meat sales, you know, meat delivery guy in Chinatown. And he doesn't talk. I know we're going to talk about this. That's the only acceptable version of a sequel I have. I want the prequel. No, I don't think this. I don't think this should ever be touched again. But we will talk about it. Uh, yeah, fair enough. So coming up. Anyway, Let's go. mutual fidelity insurers of Sacramento. A, a skeptical <laughs> Burton haggles over his stolen truck with his insurance company before the Kang heads to the White Tiger, which is a den of ill repute. To save Miao Yin, Gracie Law had informed them she'd been taken there. The three storms, of course, screw this plan up too, kidnapping Miao Yin for Lopan. Because he must marry a girl with green eyes, they tell us this later. This will break his curse and bring him back to flesh. With Mao Yin still in peril, Burton and Wang must infiltrate the Wing Kong Exchange, which is Lo Pan's hideout, to save her. Some of the defensive measures of Lo Pan's hideout are terrible. <laughs> like two dudes at the front gate who are completely oblivious. I but mean, then they. But then again, he has varying layers of hell down in the basement, which they actually explain as we go through. So I'm not sure where to land on this. Yeah, well, I mean, look, you're just you're employing security guards. There's no reason you need to tell the security guards at the front desk you are, in fact, cursed with the fleshless curse. You just you're just hiring jerks from from off the street so you can pay them. I mean, minimum wage in 86 is what, two bucks an hour? I mean, I just like, I like how constantly, anytime they end up in anything, Wang's like, oh, this is the hell of no flesh. Oh, this is the hell of hanging upside down forever. <laughs> the hell of upside down centers. It does seem like these guys are kind of sandbagging it there because at the end, when they escape, because this doesn't go particularly well, there's like 40 of them with, you know, with AK 47s shooting at Egg Shen's bus. But. Uh, yeah, this is an interesting plan that they're just let in when Jack Burton comes in holding a phone yeah. to fix the phones. <laughs> he's part of the phone. He's part of the phone department. You know, probably squirrel chewed through the wires. I think it's over in that central junction box. Listen, here's the thing you have to understand about Jack Burton in D and D terms. He is maxed out on charisma and luck, and that is fucking it. Yep. It's a hundred percent it, and he like uh, he rides. He rides that dexterity. To, he rides that to victory every time. In an oral history I read about the movie, uh, the writer basically, this was twenty sixteen. It was thirty years after the movie. Basically, described Burton as being a Donald Trump type if he didn't get his oh. daddy's money, and then and then you know become like a mogul. Like he's full of shit. Everybody knows he's full of shit except himself. Like he puts off this. I, I, I don't think it's a great comparison because Jack Burton's likable, but he yeah, has you have this to, false you have to be sense of charismatic. Bravado. Yeah. You know, he's not a bloated hunk of flesh. <laughs> but, anyways, so like any movie with an arc, the first attempt is a bust. They're captured and chastised with a crazy little basket case on wheels. 
Law, Eddie, and Margo come to save the hapless Burton and Wang, but are taken prisoner as well, only to be saved by Burton and Wang as they finally escape. Hooray! Was anybody else like this? Is an, a part of the movie where it gets a little funky because Lopan shows up and he's this old, decrepit guy in a wheelchair who looks like he's, you know, 130 years old. And he appears as this virile, like, monster that shoots light out of his eyes and mouth. And they're like, no, no, this is David Lopan. And yeah, I, I think what you're hitting at here, too, is because let's just jump ahead a little bit. You do see towards the end of the movie where he becomes his like astral projection yes. and like phases through things in that seven foot tall form. Um, what they don't do a good job of in that alley fight scene when he does show up is that he doesn't phase through Jack's truck. He appears to be physical and gets bonked like slapstick style and goes under it and pops up. And that's confusing because you see that he's not necessarily a, a solid, you know, human in that seven foot tall form. He's more of like a ghost or spirit projection. So it's a little weird. I'm not going to lie. Well, that's probably something they could have used the visual language of the movie to indicate better. Good uh, point. Didn't they talk through several times in the movie how he's not of flesh that he like Lopan. He he is, but he isn't. Uh, yeah. it, I yeah. don't, I, I, I mean, don't that's fair. I don't think we get a lot of that up to this point. But I, I will say the makeup work on James Hong to make him look like that decrepit thing, especially for 86, well done makeup and department. The, Hong and, and Lopan and everything else, I mean, it's great. There's and no, the translucent no dummy. Yeah. yeah oh, sorry, yeah. Sorry. The translucent dummy of ancient decrepit uh low pan was fantastic yeah so they, 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 they shine they light a up from light. the inside yeah that that was really well done my impression is that he can't he can't just be in the 10 foot tall roadblock form whenever he pleases like his his actual body is aging it's 2000 years old and the longer it goes like the less time he has to to finish this ceremony which is going to bring him back to the flesh and that's that but yeah. I said hooray, but not so much because Gracie Law gets kidnapped as they're leaving by the Chinese wild man beast. So as they flee into Egg Shen's bus and they're getting shot at by all these guards, she has been taken. Of course, they didn't get Mao Yin. So like Jack from Lost, they gotta go back. And two girls with green eyes. Double win for <laughs> Lopan. It begs the question. Like, <laughs> you, got, you definitely gotta pay extra for that. If he just needed two girls with green eyes. Well, that, hold on. I, Let, let's back up. What he needed was, so he was not, I mean, let's try to piece the story together. He needed to sacrifice. He needed to marry a girl and then sacrifice her so he could become flesh again, don't right? For, don't forget, they have to survive certain trials. So this has probably happened before. There's the burning blade. Like there's things that have to happen. So So he's he's done this before in the past with girls with green eyes, but there's never been two girls. Maybe that's how he thinks he's gonna make it happen, correct? Two girls, one sword. Two girls, green eyes. Yeah, to your point, McCheese. I mean, basically the question is, hey Lopan, what are you gonna do with all your dark magic power? I mean I'll tell you what I'd do, man. Two chicks with green eyes at the same time. And I figure being a cursed ghost, I could hook that up. Because chicks dig a dude with black magic powers. 
Uh, not all chicks. Kind of chicks that double up on a ghost like me do. Mm, good point. Uh, yeah. Uh, so the culmination of this movie is incredible. You've got underground man-eating monsters. What, huh? What'll come back no more? Immunity elixirs, a floating head covered in eyeballs, insane and fantastical fights. The six demon bag. Also, floating eyeball, definitely a beholder. Welcome back, D&D references. Yep, thanks, Onward. Hey, uh, we mentioned this briefly earlier. I just want to say it again. That underwater scene with the upside-down sinners. The hell of upside-down sinners. That was really cool. Like, the only thing that would have made that better is if the crabs that were on the corpses were moving. I mean, obviously, you're not getting that in 86, but that was uh, a really cool, like, horror scene in the PG-13 movie. That was legit scary. And again, it was really cool the way they shot it underwater. Yeah. The Hell of the Upside Down Sinners was my former Wi-Fi name. So, my neighbors must have thought I was super weird. I mean, cool, they wouldn't cool. be wrong. But... Yeah. Right. So... In these fantastical and insane fights, you've got Wang and Rain battling in the skies, as well as Egg Shen and Lopan dueling with ancient Chinese magic. And, of course, the lead-up into the ending has a handful of Burton's best quips, including the one where he finally kills Lopan, seemingly by accident, but it is foreshadows, as Captain Cash mentioned, when he catches the bottle uh, that Wang attempts to slice in half. But, you know, his emotions are going north and south, so... Hey, the best part of that scene where he kills Lo Pan is that Kurt Russell nails the expression of surprise. Like, oh, huh. That totally I, I can't believe that happened. Who knew? That totally, yeah. Oh, Again. Wow, okay, cool. Maxed out on luck, maxed out on charisma. And, and another reason that scene works so well is because when they filmed the kissing scene, Kurt Russell realized, oh, he had lipstick all over him. And he said, you know what? It's really stupid when people kiss in movies and then there's not lipstick. He said, let's keep it on for a couple scenes. And then he delivers that great line to Lopan and to Thunder, and it works so well when he looks like such an idiot with the lipstick smeared all over his face. <laughs> so really again, does. like there's choices yeah, they made while filming this movie that make the character that much better. Hey, Ryan Johnson, this is how you subvert expectations. Take notes. Uh, listen, I, I'm gonna don't make me come in the defense of Last Jedi and the work of Ryan Johnson. That, that, uh, this yeah, is not the pod for that. No, it's not. It never will be because there is no defense for it. Uh, so they win. True to form, Burton doesn't take the girl with him and heads off into the dark and stormy night. That's the film. It's weird in all the best ways, and I love it wholeheartedly. So before we head into our first break, Big Trouble in Little China, how many beers are required? I, spoiler, zero. You don't need any beers to enjoy this movie. You can have yeah. some, but you don't need any. Yeah, there, there's no, there, this is a zero beer requirement film. This is full on a great movie. If you're going to drink, probably not more than three, at least not more than three of these Yetis so you can be you know present through the whole thing because there is so much that happens. There are so many little things that if you don't like watch a couple times or if you're you know too blasted out of your mind, you're going to miss. Like there's a point where Jack, legitimately like in the first act kills someone and Eddie Wong looks at him and he goes first time you plug a guy and like Jack has this expression of true horror on his face that he's just murdered another human but then it like takes a second and he goes oh no, of course not 
where it's just it's going into how much of a facade the Jack Burton character is to Jack Burton himself. Yeah, and it almost appears as though he fires the gun wildly too. He's like not even yeah. complete control of it. No, and there's a lot. You're right, Captain Cass. There's a lot of little stuff in this movie uh, ahead of that scene. Um, you know, Eddie, um, Wang, and Jack all get their guns, and they do a little Three Stooges routine where they swap guns. And it's great. It's just a little quick moment. It's almost like, you know, hey, you might miss blink and you'll miss it kind of thing. But it's really funny. It's like that's good comedy. And, you know, uh, yeah, to that point, I wouldn't have more than two beers watching this movie because I think you should have a couple because that will enhance the fun because this is a fun movie. Um, and we talk a lot about pacing and, and at least I do and complain about movies, you know, pacing and building the stakes. This movie does a really good job of keeping the action and the and the, the tempo like f- frantic almost the entire time it slows down a little bit here and there but it never drags and it's just a lot of fun and i feel like yeah the stakes keep getting ramped up it keeps getting wilder and wilder and that's one of the best parts of this movie or the best features is that it gets totally bonkers at the end and you're there for it by the time you get there it gets weirder and weirder it never like it, but it progresses yeah. it never like jumps the shark it's just like wow wow what's next what's next okay great cheese how many beers are required required zero i mean god damn this movie is fantastic you don't you don't need to drink pain or pleasure beers to watch this um if you want to have some fun uh, the, the movie clocks in at what an hour and a half it's an hour and 39 minutes with credit so yeah it's it's a really quick burn yeah, ration yourself off two ice cold Yetis just to have fun with, but no, you don't need to drink to watch this. The movie's too good. Yeah, I think we're all I mean, we're all in a, firmly in agreement. So that brings us into our first break. We're gonna tag in our buddies from the Double Turn Podcast. They're gonna hit you with a doomsday device, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm Boss Ross. And I'm the J-Man, and we're the Double Turn Podcast. Every Friday, we bring you the best in pro wrestling talk. Whether it's previews and reviews on pay-per-view events, discussing the hottest topics in pro wrestling, or bringing you a look back to some of the best matches and moments in history. We have it all for you. So check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the Anchor app. And you can also give us a follow on Instagram at the Double Turn Podcast. And we will catch you on the flip side. Welcome back to the 109th episode of Hops and Box Office Flops, presented by Wabam Entertainment, and we are talking John Carpenter's 1986 cult classic, Big Trouble in Little China. So let's get right into our questions. Uh, We can talk good, the bad, and the ugly. I don't think there is bad in this movie. There's plenty of good. And is this John Carpenter's best movie? We'll start with you, Chumzilla. I think The Thing is a better film. Um, it's more interesting, but I think this is his most like commercial and complete film. Well, I would strongly disagree with commercial because Halloween is clearly the most commercial film. Uh, yeah, but it's, I mean, uh, it's a horror movie. I, I feel like this is more of your big Hollywood action movie versus like the low budget slasher, but that's a good point. I mean, Halloween did very well and it's iconic. So, all right, good point. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know that I'd call it com- not commercial, but it's the, it's made for the widest audience, is what you mean. Yeah, and I think yeah, and I think exactly. that's completely it's a PG thirteen action movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean this is something literally all... we have shown our children. 
Yeah, and back to my original point, I don't know why this flopped. Of all the movies he made, this should have been the one that made the most money. Given Carpenter's um, absolute encyclopedia of movies, this and The Thing are A number one to me. I will say in this, the thing that gets mostly overlooked is the super hot Kim Cattrall. Which, you know what, we almost didn't get, Mary McCheese, because Spox, the studio... They didn't want to hire Kim Cattrall because she was known for doing stuff like Porky's. And they were like, eh, we're not so sure. But she ends up being uh, one of the stronger points in the movie. You know, and I think it was a really I mean, interesting way they wrote the female character in this, too. I mean, she's written relatively smartly. And, yeah, she does end up being a damsel in distress in the end. But she does a lot before she gets there. And her counterpart, I didn't catch her name, but she's also Margot, absolute fox. Oh, no, no. Meow, yeah, meow, yeah, the yeah. other green. No, eye. yeah, no. Yeah, meow. Which, yeah. It's not to say that Margot doesn't have her charms. Uh, plus, yeah, wh- she ends up with Eddie in the end. And it, Eddie, I think we can all agree, is the best everyman. We, yeah, he, he seems he, pretty he's cool. Definitely, he's definitely senior everyman who you're like, I want that dude to succeed. And then he does, and you're like, good for him. Good uh, job, Eddie. I, I will admit that when I watched this movie a few years ago, after... Obviously, Kim Cattrall had appeared on Sex in the City. I had to go and look it up to make sure that Margot wasn't actually Cynthia Nixon. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on. Oh, okay, never mind. That so was I, actually I, a prequel to Sex in the City. Yeah. I, well, I thought it was for a second. I'm like, huh. Big trouble. Big but trouble I just, again. Big trouble in big city. Yeah. No, I just like the fact that the two female, well, the two, two of the three female characters in the movie one's a lawyer and the other is a reporter i enjoyed that sex in the big city yeah she saves burton like well not Mm -hmm. really but i mean they go there just they're active participants in the plot until she gets of course you know possessed by lopan but she still fights back she's always she's not totally helpless and she's clearly smarter than jack (laughs) Well, yeah. But, I, mean, I mean, to be fair, literally everyone in the movie is smarter than Jack, but he's, he's, including he's, the Chinese wild man. He's okay, comic, that, that might be questionable. He's comic relief. The movie doesn't need him to exist, but it only gets better from him existing. Well, the movie 100% needs him because he's the straight man. Everybody else understands that the Chinese have many hells and there's myths and legends and all that stuff. So without him there to be like, what the actual hell is happening right now uh, okay. the movie doesn't yeah, work as well uh, you're right no. you're right you're right i'm wrong this is john carpenter's best movie it's my favorite of his movies i as i mentioned i think you know if you were to ask a general moviegoer they'd tell you it's halloween because halloween uh continue i mean like he's still involved now he's back involved with the halloween franchise he did the music for the last halloween he's doing the music for whatever the hell the sequel's called halloween kills or something who knows there's been so many of them but it's my favorite of his movies and i love most of his movies uh, i love escape from new york i love they live i love the thing but this is this movie i grew up on it gets better and better with with age uh wait are you saying this is better than ghosts of mars well the less we say about ghosts of mars the better i believe uh <laughs> oh fair now, enough my next question is really brings us to that Jack Burton point because the the studio wanted a more stereotypical leading man hero type uh, 
We said he was basically modeled after John Wayne. But does this movie work at all if he's a stereotypical hero that's unflappable and can't be bested? Does this movie work? Or, I mean, is there a movie version of this? Yeah, probably. Is it a movie we'll talk about 30-plus years after it's done? No. You can make a generic kung fu movie with these elements and no Jack Burton, but no one's going to watch it. You need you need Kurt Russell. You need Kurt Russell to drive this thing across the finish line and be his big, goofy-ass self and do everything he does in this movie, and that's where we get the love from. Well, you make a good point there, because if you go the generic route with the Jack Burton character, McCheese, like, I think you get a more straightforward movie. I don't think it does anything to add to the movie's charm or uh, legacy, right? It'd just be kind of a, another movie, um, another kung fu type movie, because this is not a straight kung fu movie. There's way more going on here. That's just part of what we get in this movie. Um, and it would be generic, and I don't think it would help the box office at all. In fact, uh, I think to your point, Captain Cash, having the Jack Burton character there to be almost that subversive doofus of a hero instead of the you know the caucasian guy coming in to save everybody else no he's kind of just there for the ride um and he's the comic relief he's not the dashing hero even though he looks like it and talks like it he's not like that's the charm of this movie that's why it has a legacy and that's why it's a cult classic so yeah i think the movie works either way but one of them turns into a cult classic that's beloved and the other's just a generic buddy action movie that gets lost in the wash yeah, I don't think the movie works at all if he's the stereotypical Hollywood leading man hero. Uh, you know, the, the Asian-American community, apparently, when this was being filmed, already had reservations with the way they thought uh, the Chinese characters were going to be portrayed. And that just gets even worse if he's the, the white savior that comes in and is the big hero of the movie. So uh, I think, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip ahead to it to the next question, because there was rumors that this was going to be remade or rebooted with The Rock. Uh, would you even watch that? Because let's be honest here. Is The Rock going to play this type of Jack Burton? Listen, I I love The Rock. I love most of the movies he's in. I still haven't seen the Fast and the Furious franchise. I don't care. I'm not, I'm not going to fight about it. The Rock cannot be Jack Burton. The whole reason Jack Burton works is Jack Burton mostly looks like a normal human. Uh, in addition to that, there are certain films that exist within a certain period of time and work because of when they were filmed. And this is one of those things. What you're missing on the Jack Burton side is that he has to be the comedic doofus. And like, he still has a point. He still has a purpose. He still actually drives the plot. But like him getting hit in the head with cinder blocks and falling down has to be something that's okay in the movie scene or the movie script. And I don't know if you can pull that off with someone like The Rock. Yeah, because The Rock looks like a fucking superhuman. That, yeah, that's and, why and, it and doesn't also, work. He, I don't think he wants to be portrayed as like the the comic lever for I don't, the movie. I don't know that I agree with that. I feel like The Rock can do doofus funny. I, I don't think I know that because this is a guy who has clauses written into his contracts that he can only lose a certain amount of fights. He's not going to play second fiddle and be the dope the whole movie. He's just not. 
And I love The Rock too. Stay the hell away from this. I don't care what your intentions are. Stay away from it. In general, like, perception, this movie does not need to be remade at all. Stop. Yep, I'll second that, McCheese. This is a lightning-in-the-bottle kind of movie. It had a place and a time. It was right on the edge of maybe being slightly offensive, um, you know, culturally to, to the Chinese-American community. Uh, you just, it's, it, it is what it is. It's a classic. Leave it alone. There's but it's, no it, reason to touch it. It's also one of those things, like, uh, the Thunderous Wizard can tell you, like, we can show, like, we're all 40, roughly 40-year-old 40 men. The Thunderous Wizard showed it to his kids, and they they love the fucking movie. <laughs> like, how, how how many movies can you recreate with that? The only way I'm okay with it is that if they go so far afield that it's not a remake, it's not a sequel, it's almost its own thing. Well, then like rename, it, rename it and don't make then, it Yeah, then come up with a different idea. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I hear that. Your own IP. But if they if they had done what they had originally planned and they set this in San Francisco at you know nineteen hundred, maybe I can see that going somewhere. I think okay. this movie. I think this movie did what it originally planned, and we don't need to judge it for it. Yeah. So I see what you're saying here, though, Captain Cash. Much like uh, from Paris with love, we all want to see from Prague with love. You want to see like Big Trouble in Little German Town. Yeah, just something far like yeah. I don't you need what? another Jack Burton. Maybe we get Low Pan again. Maybe I'm maybe okay with not. I'm okay with knockoffs. So we'll leave this movie alone. Yeah, just leave it alone. There's no point. It'd be a soulless, hollow corporate enterprise, just like the uh, prequel to the thing, which was a piece of shit. Well, and it made no money terrible. anyways. And it'd be full of crap CGI. It'd be awful. Hollywood is simply incapable of doing this correctly unless you get one of the you know, premier indie directors that loves doing things the right way with practical effects and wants to do it on a low budget. And let's face it, The Rock and his company are not that. That's not the team. It's, no, stay away. Stay away. Don't come anywhere near it. I would never see another one of your movies if you ruin this. Ever. Period. End of story. All right, with that negativity in the rear view, we do have a couple of fun questions before we head into our second break and then our trivia challenge. Best Burton line or witticism of the film? We'll start with Captain Cash. It's all in reflexes. Certainly very iconic. Chumzilla. Okay, you people sit tight, hold the fort, and keep the home fires burning. And if we're not back by dawn, call the president. Call the president. I feel like that's, and, and that's a loose nod to Escape from New York. It's and, very close. Uh, that's my number one, but it's followed closely by, I'm a reasonable guy, but I've just experienced some very unreasonable things. Uh, McCheese. Mine doesn't factor into much, but I do like when he says, the old pork chop express. I mean, Kurt, Kurt, Kurt Russell delivering the pork chop express line and his over talk over. It's awesome. Yeah. His CB stuff is classic. Yeah. And, I think you're hitting on something here, McCheese. Everyone in this movie knows exactly what movie they're in. That's one of the things that makes this movie work so well. Everybody has just the right level of camp in their delivery. Everyone understood the assignment. 
Yes. And that comes with a great director too. Like mm-hmm. obviously yep. John Carpenter knew what he was he was doing as yep. well. And he's, the vision he's was just clear. A, a master of these types of movies. He really is. Uh, for me, and I alluded to this earlier, it's the it's the end sequence where he he comes into the room. He's got the lipstick all over his face, and Lopan says, "Is it too much to ask Thunder kill him for me?" And Burton, as dryly as possible, says, "Wouldn't solve anything, Dave." Too many people around here dropping like flies already. And where's that getting us? Nowhere. Fast. Uh, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? Who? Jack Burton. Me. Old Jack always says, what the hell? And then it goes on. <laughs> it's just wonderful. And he's got the lipstick on his face. It's, I love it. Also, when they almost get great. run over in the parking lot, he just goes, son of a bitch must pay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I will admit this movie does not give us enough back and forth between Lopan and Jack Burton. Those guys played well off of each other. Uh, you know, John Carpenter was so pleased with Hogg's performance. He's like, you really should be nominated for an Oscar because you're doing so many different things in this movie. Yeah, uh, agreed. And he took that as a great compliment. Of course, he wasn't. But he's he's awesome. I mean, it's, awesome. it's probably yeah. my favorite performance of his because generally... He's cast as a stereotype in a lot of 80s movies, and he's not that here. Like, he's a fully realized character with a lot of nuance to him. And you got to credit the movie. It cast all Asian actors. It didn't do a lot of bullshit. It's pretty progressive for a movie in 1986. Where I mean, there oh, yeah. are literally four non-Asian characters, yeah. right? Jack, Gracie, Margot, and then the detective. Last fun question before the break. Best scene of the movie. For me, it's a toss-up. It's either the fantastical kung fu fight at the end where they're all on the magical elixir and uh, Wang and Rain have the sky fight or it's the Chinese standoff. Best musical cue of the movie is in the Chinese standoff. I'll post it to the social. It's incredible. Chumzilla. Um, The opening fight in the alley is great, but my vote is for the raid on the brothel. Jack and Wang have more to do in that fight, and who doesn't love the Henry Swanson scene? That suit was recycled from an old Kurt Russell movie. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. Oh, yeah. It's the used cars or something yeah. like that. Uh, McCheese, best scene. We're, go- we're going with our favorite kung fu scene. No, best scene in general. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, it, it, it's definitely the original kung fu fight. I mean, I've never seen more arms broken than this. Just arms snapping left and right in this kung fu fight while. Kurt Russell and Wong sit in the truck and go, what are we supposed to do? I just love how the whole time Jack Burton is just gripping his knife. Yeah. He's just <laughs> like, he's, gonna, it like, he's just ready. <laughs> What's up Wong. Uh, I love that scene. It's fantastic. Wang. Oh, Wang Wong. Sorry. Uh, Captain cash. It's going to sound crazy, but I really love it. When Lopan and Egg Shen do the like the the weird Chinese black magic fight and oh, the pinky fight game. the They're pinky fight yeah games. and the the energy turns into like a green and a purple humanoid that fight each other like that that comes out of like base like there's nothing that sets that up it just happens and it's wild and I love it you could never beat me Egg Shen and that listeners is how you get Mortal Kombat. And we're we're not kidding that Mortal Kombat is heavily inspired by this movie. I mean, at at a bare minimum, at a bare minimum, 
Raiden and uh, Shang Tsung are lightning and low pan. That it's been as it admitted as such. I mean, I guess the three storms as an amalgamation are Lord Raiden, but that's going to take us into our second break. We're going to hear from our buddies in beer over at Hop Nation USA, and on the flip side, we're going to do the six demon bag trivia challenge. Hey everyone, this is Steve. And this is Adam. And we're part of the Hop Nation USA podcast. Pittsburgh's number three craft beer podcast. Join us every Friday for new beer reviews. We'll talk about the news, history, and homebrew. Plus, we'll sit down with the best brewers and industry personalities that'll have us. So whether you're a casual drinker, a hazy boy hophead, or even if you're a whale hunting cellar hoarder, just search Hop Nation USA on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher and join the nation. Welcome back to the 109th episode of Hops and Box Office Flaps. We are on to the sixth demon bag trivia challenge of our Big Trouble in Little China podcast. Gentlemen, we have a standard multiple choice format quiz. I have assembled seven questions relating to this film as well as to the extended lore of Big Trouble. To chime in, say either, Hell of the Upside Down Sinners! Black Blood of the Earth! It's all in the reflexes, or of course, our standard, I'm going to shoot... By lightning, or farts and tarts. Are we ready? It's all in the reflexes. I was born ready. Number one. As I stated in the intro, Jack and the Chinese wild man Beast become friends in the graphic novels from Boom. What did Jack name the hairy beast? Is it A. Pete? Is it B. Porkchop? Is it C. Wang? Or is it D. Henry Swanson? It's all in the reflexes. Captain Cash. Pete. It is Pete. Yeah. That's the only one that makes sense. <laughs> it is one nothing. Captain Cash, one zero zero zero. Number two, Boss Film Studios, who did the visual effects for this film, also did effects for all of the following films, except, is it A, Ghostbusters? Is it B, Masters of the Universe? Is it C, Big Top Peewee? Is it D, Demon Knight? Or is it E, Demolition Man? Do Big Top Peewee. That is incorrect. Oh. I'm going to shoot my lightning. Captain Cash. What, whatever D was, the last one. Uh, D is Demon Knight. E is Demolition nope. Man. Demolition Man. That is correct. They did oh. do the effects for the specialist in Cliffhanger, not Demolition Man. Man, I was going to guess Master's Universe. I would have been wrong. Oh, man, it's right about that time. Yeah, that, that was it's... my move. I'm like, Demolition Man's far enough out that uh, that yeah. thing would have fucking folded. I know they did Ghostbusters because uh, Egg Shen's uh, office is, is the same as the interior the firehouse of the firehouse. From Ghostbusters. From Ghostbusters. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay, moving on. So it is two to nothing, Captain Cash. Dang. Uh, for the record, the specialist the came out after Demolition Man, and it's a piece of crap, and James Woods is in it. Oh, fuck James Woods. Yes, fuck James Woods, very briefly. Number three, for the score, John Carpenter was nominated for this award. Is it A, the Dallas-Fort Worth Film Critics Association Award for Best Musical Score? Is it B, the Chicago Film Critics Association Award for Best Original Score? Is it C, the Best Original Score Oscar? Or is it D, the Saturn Award for Best Music? I'm going to shoot It's all the reflexes. It's Captain Cash. Uh, Saturn Award. That is correct. Which is pretty... Shit, that uh, was all in the reflexes. Carpenter said he wanted to avoid the usual cliches as he found, quote, other scores for American movies about Chinese characters are basically rinky-dink chop suey music. I didn't want that for Big Trouble. This is, I mean, if you've heard any of his scores, the synth, 
it's got Carpenter written all over it. Yeah. I really enjoy the synth guitar riffs from the opening scene with Jack and the, and the big rig. Yeah. Like course. that really sets the tone for the movie. It's like that, it's that swaggering, like, oh, you know exactly who Jack Burton is as you hear him yammer on the CB and you hear that music in the yeah. background. Of course, you get his band, the Coupe de Ville's, doing the song in the credits. Oof, which is not as good as the opening. It's not as, not as good as the score, but it's entertaining. Uh, yeah. Number four, three to nothing, Captain Cash over both of you. Jeez. The studio reportedly wanted an established name for the role of Jack Burton. Which of the following was not one of their choices? Is it A, Jeff Bridges? Is it B, Sly Stallone? Is it C, Clint Eastwood? Or is it D, Jack Nicholson? It's on the reflexes. I'm going to give that to Chumpzilla. Sly. It It was Sly. It is Sly. Uh, Obviously, Jeff Bridges was nominated for an Oscar for his work on Starman, which was a John Carpenter movie. Uh, Clint Eastwood and Jack Nicholson were who they wanted. They both turned down the role. Uh, I think Nicholson could have pulled it off, but not Eastwood. I don't know, at all. man. Nicholson was pushing. Like, Jack kind of works because he's he's young enough that he, and it's still believable that he's the quote-unquote action hero. Yeah, I mean, because you got to think, this is three years before Nicholson's in Batman. Yeah. I just I just don't see him pulling that off. I think Kurt Russell was the and Eastwood's no spring chicken either. I just No, Eastwood have been Eastwood would have been terrible. Terrible. Awesome. Jeff Bridges might have been able to pull it off, but it would have been it would have been a different feel because he's not he's not that swaggering, charming guy that Kurt Russell is. He's he's more, more laid of, back charming. More laid back, more subtle, yeah. I think I think I mean clearly again Carpenter had a vision for this movie and he knew exactly what he wanted and he was right. Yeah, and uh, good anyway. for him because obviously he knew Kurt Russell well and he understood yeah. what this role needed. Uh, number five, it is three to one, Captain Cash over Chumzilla. Mayor McCheese is it zero. Number five, when the film was initially conceived as a late 1800s western where Jack Burton worked providing meat to Chinese railroad workers. And apparently talked very little. That's the Eastwood movie. The studio reached out to this director for the project. Is it A. Walter Hill? Is it B. Steven Spielberg? Is it C. Richard Donner? Or is it D. John McTiernan? Parts and tarts. That's Captain Cash. Spielberg? Incorrect. Damn. Oh, I'll take my remaining answers then, please. Uh, A. Walter Hill. Is it C. Richard Donner? Or D, John McTiernan? I'm going to go with A. You're correct. It is Walter Hill, director of the greatest late 2000s action movie ever, Bullet to the Head, (laughs) that we did on this pod. Also director of 48 Hours and The Warriors, amongst other things. The Warriors, yeah. Uh, I could have sworn it was Spielberg too, though, Captain Cash. That was my guess as well. my, My backup was going to be Donner. I, well, yeah, I, I thought I read somewhere with Spielberg, but I guess uh, anyway. In the 30-year oral history, the writer specifically referenced that's who they wanted for that original script idea. Uh, I love mm-hmm. Walter Hill, but obviously I like this script idea much better. So it is now 3-2, to two, Captain Cash over Chumzilla and Mayor oh, McCheese. Boy, okay. is it's a game zero. now. It's okay, McCheese. We love you, buddy. Number six. The first kung fu movie John Carpenter ever saw was... Was it A, Drunken Master? Was it B, Enter the Dragon? Was it C, Five Fingers of Death? Or was it D, The Five Deadly Venoms? It's all in the reflexes. 
Captain Cash. Five Fingers of Death. That's correct. 1973. Ooh. He saw it. That is a great movie. You should also nice. see it. So now four to two. Seemingly you're going to win, but there is a bonus question. All right. So number seven of all the practical effects in this movie, the one that was the most difficult for the effects team was what? Was it A, the sore monster during the Black Blood of the Earth scene? B, Lopan's electric escalator? C, the floating watchful eye? Or D, the Chinese wild man beast? A.K.A. All the reflexes. Parts and tarts. Floating eye. That is correct. It took uh, the most time, manpower, and budget to create, and it required extensive animatronics and numerous puppeteers and operators working in tandem uh, to get all the eyeballs blinking and everything else going. Uh, The sore monster, which was apparently inspired by an anglerfish, was also super massive on a track and was steel, and they wanted to use it more in the movie, but it just it couldn't. It was too heavy and unwieldy, so. I will say this. I was fully expecting that floating watchful eye creature effect not to hold up, but it did. It's okay. But I think I've read somewhere that Carpenter was like, basically it wasn't worth the money and the time. In the end, they only used it for, uh, you know, like a few minutes of screen time. And it was a huge pain in the ass. Probably on screen for like under a minute, but it's awesome. Yeah. It's cool, and it still looks pretty good today. Even. Yeah. The but. part where its tongue comes out, its tongue has an eyeball, and then it licks its other eyeball with the eyeball tongue is something so that, weird. that stuck with me all my life. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, there's some other things about these beasts, but I'll just post that to social, the numerous uh, creations. The bonus point was yeah. the character of... Jack Burton was largely modeled after John Wayne, which we said. Who was Snake Plissken modeled after? Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. Dirty Harry. Yeah. Yeah. Which is referenced to in this movie because at one point, Egg Shen tries to give Jack Burton a giant, like, 44 Magnum revolver. He's like, ah, it'll make you feel like Dirty Harry. You know, so self-referential jokes. That's inside baseball right there, folks. Okay. Meta. So goddamn meta. Yeah. Yep. So we're on to recommendations. Uh, Gentlemen, what do you have on tap this week? We'll start with you, Chumzilla. All right. So I've got a triple recommendation. Uh, My first recommendation is check out on YouTube. There's a super cut of all the times that Jack Burton asks, what's going on in this movie? It's hilarious just to see all those scenes and lines stacked up. So check that out. Just Google Jack Burton Supercut, you'll find it. My second is there's a hilarious spoof cover of uh, uh, Gundam style. Uh, it's Lopan style. And that's really funny, too. Check that out. That's just how culturally significant this movie is. It straight up has James Hong in it, too. It, it does, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's it's pretty freaking funny. But my legit recommendation is one of John Carpenter's very first films, you can catch it for free on Tubi, whatever that is. Um, it's Dark Star. And he did this movie uh, basically fresh out of school at uh, USC with a guy named Dan O'Bannon, uh, who just had to be the guy that also wrote the script that became Alien. And they did this movie together. It's a space movie. It's great. Carpenter produces and directs it. Uh, O'Bannon co-wrote it with him and also stars in it. And it's a really great 70s. I think it came out 76. It's a great 70s space movie. And you get to see, like, the germination of the idea that becomes alien in this movie. And it's pretty cool. And just to see where John Carpenter started. So check that out. Okay, yeah. Good recommendations, Captain Cash. 
So my recommendation is going to be a little different this week in that I'm going to recommend the entire Kung Fu Panda series, Kung Fu Panda 1, 2, and 3, just so that you can watch James Hong play the goose dad. Because he his voice acting throughout that will bring you to tears. It is genuinely great work by James Hong, and it it is just incredible. Like, I know he's done other voice work. He was in the Diablo series, but, oh, my God. Like, watching him do do the the adoptive father thing, you can feel it through the screen in the animated goose's eyes. Like, that to me, like, listen, I, I will always come back to this film as James Hong, but, man, he he killed it in Kung Fu Panda. Absolutely killed it. He's great in Kung Fu Panda, that's true. Uh, Mary McCheese has gone down to the hell of... People who can't stay awake in the midst of a podcast? So he, he's not going to provide a recommendation, but I have a couple. Uh, if you like comics, the... The comics for this are, are a fun little diversion. They're still making them. They're on like Old Man Jack right now. Uh, they also did a couple of novels. There's Big Trouble in Mother Russia and Big Trouble in Merry Old England. They're really hard to get now because I guess they probably had a limited print. I have them. We got them at Comic-Con a few years back. And they're cool. And it's like a nice way to bring Jack Burton back into your life, uh, even for a little bit. They're, they're short. They're very easy to read. I'll go back to my from Paris with love uh, comment from earlier. You can't tell me that Travolta wasn't channeling a little bit of Jack Burton there. Cause I can totally see Jack Burton say that wasn't no kitchen staff Haas. Uh, he's he's, but he is like the stereotypical hero. He just has an attitude, but star Lord is clearly very Jack Burton esque. If you're like looking oh, yeah. for content, contemporary movie comparison, I think star Lord yes. is a very, it- a close approximation of what and I'm going to steal this here. from I'm going to steal this from uh, Captain Cash. Yes, yes, yes. We know they wink at it pretty hard. They made Kurt Russell Star Lord's dad. We get it. So here's my thing with the idea of Big Trouble in Merry Old England or Big Trouble somewhere else that involves the Jack Burton character. It's the same diminishing returns you get with the the diehard character of John McClane. The reason Jack Burton works is he's not used to all this crazy magic bullshit. At the point at which you've experienced black magic Chinese sorcery, is black magic English sorcery really going to matter all that much to you? You're like, oh, no, no, I, I, I went through something like this well, similar. That's why they're not movies. They're just like 200-page books. And if yeah, you, know, and you want to read it in like a night, which you definitely can, you know, they're fun enough. But my other recommendation, and shamefully I'm pulling a Captain Cash here, is oh, Warrior. No. I recommended it on uh, the pod a few episodes back. It's on HBO Max. It just got renewed for season three. It's great. Joe Taslam is in it. Uh, and in episode eight of season one, there's an incredible Chinese standoff. And I have to feel, in some small part, it must have been inspired by this movie. It's such a badass show. Great martial arts. It is awesome. So, if you haven't watched it, you know, when I first recommended it, I'd watch two episodes. Now I'm, like, just burning through them. I can't get enough of it. 
it's incredible. It it's it's freaking great. And Chinese standoff. Yeah. And I just want to say this to you, Captain Cash. You make an excellent point about Jack Burton not being continuously reintroduced to these fantastical elements. Like, does that diminish the character? But just remember that they left the door open because you still have the Chinese wild man, beast monster, on the Pork Chop Express at the end of this movie. They leave the door open. Jack Burton made the right decision. He left, he cut ties, went back to the road. Ah, but the Chinese black magic followed him. So I'm just saying the door is left open. That's fair. I mean, the movie certainly does leave it open and you kind of wish like what, what could have been if there was something, but at the same time, we don't need it. There's so much magic here. Do we really want it to be? It's, it's, it's the monkey paws wish of sequels. It's like, ah, yes, I'd like to see more Jack Burton, but do I really need it? Is what we have already enough? It might be. Uh, Also in warrior Dustin Nguyen from 21 jump street this show is just kicking all the asses. Yeah, the oh, 21 right Jump Street. The show with Johnny Depp and Peter DeLuise. Not the movies, which are also good. The show, Dustin Wynn, the man. He's really great in uh, Warrior 2. How does Greco cool. feature in that? Uh, 21 Jump Street? He was Booker. And then he's no, no, I'm, I'm asking. In where, Warrior? Where Greco show up he's in the Opium Den singing karaoke, which wasn't a thing then, but... And painting. He makes it his own. He's, he's an artist. Yeah, he's he painting, now. doing opium, singing. Hey, hey, pod listeners, I'll just throw this out there. The weirdest part of our If Looks Could Kill pod uh, was the fact that we got some kind of weird Greco fan Twitter account bot thing that started following us. Because apparently they follow and retweet everything that mentions Greco. Whatever the aggregate was for Greco, we hit it. And yep. <laughs> so... Yeah, yep. my, my my biggest curiosity cool stuff. is how cool stuff. how much did Greco pay for that bot? I don't know. Uh, Sub five hundred bucks. But that That's totally real say. person is super obsessed with everything he does. Whatever the Batabi brothers paid him for, uh, didn't charge him for when he rear-ended their flower van. <laughs> he used. <laughs> uh, Just don't want to get sued. Yeah. Yeah. So remember, right. listeners, you can find the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Hops and Flops. You can find myself on Twitter at WriterTLK. You can find Captain Cash hanging in the hell of the Upside Down Sinners with a crab on his face or at C-A-P-T-C-A-S-H on most social media. Chumpzilla can be found drinking the black blood of the earth on Twitter at Chumpzilla8. And McCheese can be found in the hell where people are <laughs> asleep during the pod at HBOF McCheese on Twitter. Uh, check out Wobam Entertainment at WobamEntertainment.com for all your reviews, news, etc. on all the best fanboy stuff. The other thing I want to mention very briefly, especially as we talk about this very Asian-American-centric film, is the, the concept of the Stop Asian Hate movement that is currently going. Unfortunately, in the in the recent months and maybe I guess year or so, there's been an uptick in uh, hate crimes against Asian Americans. Super uncool. Absolutely stop Asian hate. Um, yeah, I don't have a lot more to say about that. But other than to say, if you're listening to this and you find that offensive, fuck you. Stop listening to us. What can a citizen do? Be a good person. 
respect everyone in your community as they should respect you. Hate is wrong. Prejudice is wrong. Racism is wrong. Stop. Yep. Hey, we're all in this together and we're all doing better when we're all doing better, folks. Yes. Take care of each other. Uh, Be excellent to each other. So if you enjoy the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe, and connect with us on social media to share ideas for future episodes. Uh, Somebody said The Rocketeer, and it was a flop, and we all love The Rocketeer. Here for that. I love Jennifer Conley. I love love The Rocketeer. You know, uh, Timothy Dalton. Don't we get the guest on for that? Yeah. We we got a guest lined up for that. So in the end, listeners... Like my, like I told my wife, I says, honey, I never drive faster than I can see. And besides that, it's all in the reflexes. We'll see you next week for the beginning of our Hops and Rock Hard Flop series with what, Captain Cash? Imagine I'm running in slow motion towards you. I'm always there. We're gonna do Baywatch with the rock. Some people stand in the darkness, afraid to <laughs> step into the light. And second I, run. I... I will only do next week's podcast if the Thunderous Wizard sings the entirety of the Baywatch theme as the opener. Deal. (laughs) All they want to know, which one of you guys is going to wear the one-piece red bathing suit? Who's doing it? Who's who's CJ? That's me. You know that's me. I forget her last name. Pam Anderson's character's last name. I know it was CJ, though. CJ something or other. You you got to wear the blonde wig, too. Deal. Yeah, complete complete the fantasy. What if Sebastian stand up to? Like, like, maybe he could flip it over from the Tommy Lee thing. Yeah, let him be. Let him be Pam Anderson. Uh, he looks remarkably like Tommy Lee in that photo. It's a it's alarming. I'd like. It's that's why I want to see him do Pam Anderson. It might work. Yeah. Like, Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe we'll talk a little Baywatch nights during that episode. <laughs> Oh no! Was, wait, wait. Was that was Momoa on Baywatch or Baywatch yes, Nights? He was. It was one of our trivia questions about him. He was on Baywatch yeah. uh, as uh, Jason. I Jason. <laughs> He's always a Jason. Yeah. As Aquaman, he was really good at his job. <laughs> so we'll see you next week. Cause I'm always ready, and I won't let you out of my sight.